You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. As we near closer to the legal tampering period, which opens on Monday. Everything is being compressed down because of the CBA voting. That has been extended. So a lot to get to before then. We're going to talk some free agency to start the show. We're going to talk some draft a little bit later than the show. And then maybe some some trade rumors at the end of the show. But let's start with the linebacker position, a, a common place, a familiar place for us to start these off-season shows because it's clearly a place the Packers feel like they need to improve. The pool of players the Packers will choose from in free agency this offseason when it comes to the linebacker position grows by the day. It's not just Joe Schobert, Nick Kwiatkowski, Corey Littleton. There are other names to consider, including guys who have since been released to hear Whitehead from the Raiders, a starting caliber linebacker, someone with a lot of experience. Christian Kirksey, a player who really looked to be on the ascent before injuries the last two seasons undercut his development. He was having an awesome 2018 season before he got hurt. He's only played nine total games the last two seasons for the Browns and is only 27. He's hitting the market. And then there's names out there that are, are flying a little bit under the radar. In fact, Bill Huber from SI Maven put out a list based on a conversation he had with a scout about the top linebackers on the market. Corey Littleton was number one, and this scout had Devondre Campbell from the Falcons at number two, ahead of Schobert, ahead of Kwiatkowski. And I think that is another name that could be in play for the Packers if they want to go the major big-name route. Those guys are there, but... Is the appearance of all of these players and having a growing list of names at the linebacker position going to affect the top of the market? Does the fact that a team can go sign Christian Kirksey and believe that if Kirksey is healthy, he can be a top-level starter in the NFL at linebacker, a guy who can go out and get you 140 tackles and 10 tackles for loss because he's done it in his NFL career? Does that suppress the top of the market. And according to a leaked source, the market for some of those middle-class players is expected to be better than I think a lot of people are anticipating. And the top is going to be a little softer than people are anticipating. There isn't going to be a C.J. Mosley-type deal out there where someone is getting $15, $16, $17 million average per year. This is going to be a lot of guys between 8 
$113 million, it looks like. And those are reasonable numbers for the Packers. But as the number of bargain players grows, guys like Whitehead and Kirksey, guys who would give you a, a starter you can feel okay about while allowing guys on your roster to make a push for the starting job, Oren Burks, Curtis Bolton, who's coming off an ACL injury, and you're talking about a, a coordinator in Mike Patton who only plays one linebacker, one true linebacker, most of the time. In fact, about 80% of the time, he had one true linebacker on the field last year. We're talking about nickel package, dime package, and that hybrid nickel package where he has a safety lined up in the box with Blake Martinez. If you only need one, then maybe you say, okay, we're not going to get in a bidding war for Corey Littleton and Joe Schobert, guys who are good but not great players, and the the market for Nick Kwiatkowski has gotten out of control. Maybe the move is to sign Christian Kirksey, see what he's got left, see if he can get healthy, and, and then see if some of these young guys can develop. And then in the draft, see what you can do, see what falls to you. That flexibility to say if Kenneth Murray is there or Patrick Queen is there, you can take him. And you haven't locked yourself into a player who is going to command a lot of money and keep that younger, cheaper guy and a guy who could potentially have more upside off the field. And I wrote about this today over at Acme Packing Company. The flexibility that the Packers get from signing a linebacker is more than from almost any other single move they can make. Because in the draft, this linebacker position is so top-heavy. I mean, we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we talked about some of the, you know, if, if the worst happens and all of the guys they like are off the board at 30, what are their options going to be? And, and is that even possible? I, I would contend that it's not. I mean, we, the conversation yesterday resulted in the Packers taking T. Higgins, who I think is one of the 20 best players in the draft. So it wouldn't really bother me that much. I think a lot of players are going to go before Green Bay picks who, frankly, do not deserve to go in the top 20, top 25, top 30. That's a boon for the Packers because that means they get a chance to draft a really good player. Now, if you sign a linebacker, and, and a good linebacker, someone that you don't feel like you need to upgrade over right away, Kirksey, Whitehead, even Devondre Campbell, who, by the way, the last two years has not been good, but has shown flashes over his career. He can run, he can move, and he's a reliable tackler. He just doesn't have a lot of consistency to his game. And for a Falcons team that could use some defensive pieces to allow him to walk out the door, not because he's going to be so expensive, Dan Quinn knows defense. That's a little bit of a red flag to me. I'm not super interested in that. Kirksey is a name that that I'm into. It's it's another reason why I'm interested in Nick Kwiatkowski because I think he can be had for eight nine million dollars, and that that gives you the flexibility to still go say, okay, Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen, some of these other guys. If they're there at 30, you can still take them. You can still play some traditional nickel if you want to. Uh, I, I, Mike Patton has been loath to do that. So signing a linebacker, someone who's going to play 80% of snaps and, and play them solo, you don't really need two. You have you know your, your developmental guys, your Burks, your Boltons, and you, you roll with, let's say, Corey Littleton. Let's just 
say. I think the money is workable. Go get Corey Littleton. I think for him, for Littleton, it makes the most sense to go to a team like Green Bay. It's a perfect scheme fit. Matt Bowen wrote about this for ESPN the other day. And he can be out there and be your every down, do-it-all kind of linebacker. Now you go into the draft. And at 30, if an offensive tackle is there you like, you take him. If he's not, you can take a receiver there if you really like somebody. And if there's someone else there you really like. Let's say Xavier McKinney is there. Let's say they love Grant Delpit. Let's say they go a little off the board and they love Kyle Duggar or Jeremy Chin or one of these super freak safeties that is going to be a complimentary piece. They're going to play that single linebacker 80% of the time. Okay, why not get that premium blue chip player to play next to him and you're enhancing that linebacker right away because that guy is going to be on the field 60-70% of snaps too. You want to get a better player than a Raven Green or an Ibrahim Campbell. Upgrade that spot in the first round. And, and you can do that freely because you have a linebacker, and this is a deep receiver and offensive tackle class. It is not a deep linebacker class. After those top guys, even including Zach Bond, who I bet on this show saying, I like him, I think he can be a really good player, and I think he can play off the ball. It's not an ideal situation for the Packers to go into 2020 with him as your signal caller, with him as your lone linebacker who's going to play 80% of snaps. It's just not a smart plan to have, even if I think he can be useful in a lot of different ways. But if the, if the main guy is Corey Littleton and Bond can play in that you know 15 20% of base snaps that you're going to play, and then can be in those dime looks. I had Pro Football Focus look this up. The second most used position group from the Packers last year was one defensive lineman, three linebackers, and Blake Martinez. So, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, and either Rashawn Gary or Kyler Fackrell. Their second most used position group. So, if you have someone like Zach Bond, he can play, you know, that 25% of the time, 30% of the time, then they're going to play 15%, 20% in true base. Well, now all of a sudden, Zach Bond is up to 50% of the snaps. But he's not having to play all of them, not having to call the signals because you signed a linebacker. That, that opens up everything for you in the offseason. Because in the second round, you could get a really good offensive lineman. I love the day two offensive lineman in this draft. I actually don't love the day two receivers in this draft, at least not after about the top 50. And we're going to talk about that in the second part of the show. But you could get a really good receiver at 62 and still get an offensive tackle who's capable of being your long-term starter in the third round. You can't do that at linebacker. So you have to do that now to make your life easy in the draft so you're not sitting there at 30 feeling like you have to get somebody feeling like you're locked in or you're not going to get a player who impacts your team in 2020 at that position, and suddenly you're going into the offseason going, how did we lose Blake Martinez, who wasn't great last year, and somehow not upgrade at the position? That's the position. That's the spot that they could find themselves in if they don't sign a linebacker, and frankly, it's why they're going to sign a linebacker. So I got this great question from Trevor in Portage. He says, hey, Peter, what's happening? Hello, Peter. 
What's happening? Thinking about the offseason, I'm starting to love the idea of signing Valdir, Hooper, and one of Littleton, Schobert, or Kwiatkowski. Then in the draft, draft Josh Jones or Cleveland in the first and move up to 45 or 50 in that range to take one of the receivers that will likely fall due to the depth of the class. Thinking Mims or possibly Rager. If free agency and draft fall that way, how would you grade the Packers off season? So this was a question that I put to my followers on Twitter. And I've got very mixed responses. There were people that said, absolutely, yes, no brainer, I do it. And then there were others who said, absolutely not. Does it make sense? Now, let me address one group of critics of this potential move. A lot of, a lot of the critics, or not a lot, I don't want to overcharacterize it, but some of the critics said, no, there's too many needs. You can get good players with those draft picks. And yes, it's true you can get good players with a third-round pick, with a fourth-round pick. Because you'd have to give up, to get to 45, let's say, you'd have to give up 62, 94, and probably your fourth-round pick. Maybe you could get it done with, with your five. Or you have two sixes if you're Green Bay. You, maybe you give those up. But you got to give up multiple top 100 picks. you got to swap that second-round pick and your third-round pick. Probably have to give up your fourth, too, to move up that far. The chances of you getting quality players decreases exponentially as you move down the draft. And so if you're moving up to 45, you're doing it because you think a first-round player is still available. You know, you're sitting there at 30. And Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland, Denzel Mims, Jalen Rager, and T. Higgins are all on the board. And you take one of them. Now, maybe you, maybe you would argue trade down in that case. I would say take the best guy and then see how far the other guys fall. If you can trade up to 45 and get T. Higgins or you get Jalen Rager or, or even Denzel Mims, who I am sort of infamously not the hugest fan of, but think he's a good player and an intriguing prospect, then there's reason to suggest that that might work. It is not the case that the Packers have too many needs to make a move like this. It is intriguing as a fan to say, well, they could get, you know, Justin Madibuike and Zach Moss and, you know, a center, and then that all that is really important. I said, a center? What? They have two. Who's worried about a center? No one should be worried about a center. And you shouldn't be worried about backup defensive linemen either. Okay, the Packers aren't. You, should, you really shouldn't either. I'm not saying that it is the right move. But it is something that I would consider, and I would consider it for this reason. I think the drop-off in this draft, while I think it is a deep draft, it is a deep draft in the kind of way that there are players who can be useful on your team well into the top 100 you can look down 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 and find players that you could say, in the right offense, that guy could be really good. He could be really impactful. He could be he could be for a team what Miko Hardman was last year for the Chiefs. Or he can be for a team what Marquez Valdez-Scantling was as a rookie even. I mean, that's a useful player. And, and maybe he becomes more consistent than MVS was. There are players into the 100s, into day three, that could give you that. But to me, after about 45, 50, 
you are really dropping off in talent. And so if that's the case, and what you really want is that bang on number two receiver, and you love one of these guys, and you think, you know, let's, I have Jalen Rager at 25. I have Brandon Ayuk at 32. If those guys are still there in the mid-50s or the mid-40s, right there at 50, and you think you can get two first-round players in this draft, and you don't want to wait until 62, then I think there is some wisdom in saying, go grab these two impact players. You already signed your linebacker. You already signed Austin Hooper. So go fill the two other biggest needs on your team and feel like you've made four impact additions to your team in the offseason. Now, I am the same person who believes draft picks are risk profiles and that to a certain degree, this is all a little bit lucky and lottery type scenario. You're, You're just throwing darts at some point. And how much more certain are you about a guy at 25 than you are at 60? That's a big question. Giving up assets rarely works out in the aggregate for the teams that give up those kinds of assets. And and to move from 60 to 45 is a huge move. It would take a lot of draft capital to get there. If this this is, much like the linebacker discussion, why you sign Austin Hooper. Because if you sign Austin Hooper... And for whatever faults you have, and Andy Herman wrote a really good piece for Packer Report about the the limitations that he had. Zach Cruz also wrote about uh, Hooper over at Packers Wire. He is not a game changer. He is not a field tilter. He's a really reliable player who, in this offense, given the way that they effectively scheme tight ends open, someone who catches 80% of his targets can be very useful to the team in the middle of the field and in the red zone. That player has value. You go into the draft feeling like, okay, if you've got Devontae Adams, you've got Aaron Jones, and you've got Austin Hooper, those three guys are your top three receiving threats. Now, a complementary player, a guy who is only, you know, the the logical evolution of what MVS was as a rookie. You are looking at someone like Antonio Gibson from Memphis or Devin DuVernay from Texas or some of these other guys who could be available on you know, day three. Or, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's a project. Tyler Johnson from Minnesota, who's just a solid guy, is probably never going to be, you know, a number one receiver, but could be a really good three and a solid number two. Then all of a sudden, you you don't have that sense of urgency to reach for a receiver. You don't have the, the urgency to say, we have to have one, so you don't feel the need to go up. You can throw a couple darts at the board. And maybe then it makes it easier to go, okay, receiver in the second and in the fourth or receiver in the first and in the fifth. I think if you go back to our discussion in the A block of the show, this is a deep offensive tackle class. So if what you really want is that elite receiver and Justin Jefferson or T Higgins or even Jalen Rager is there at 30, take him and feel like in the second round, Prince Teguanago is going to be there. Or Jack Driscoll, his teammate from Auburn, who I also love. Or, you know, you get to the third round and you've got someone like Matt Pert from UConn who could come in and be your right tackle of the future. I understand the attractiveness of an idea like trading up for a receiver, especially if it's someone that the Packers have a first round grade on. If you 
go into the draft selection and you look at just what, you know, my board as it currently stands, Josh Jones at 16 and T. Higgins at 17. And both of those guys are on the board. And you take the higher graded guy, Josh Jones, and all of a sudden it's the 48th pick and T. Higgins is still on the board. I can understand why you would look at the board as the Packers and say, this is a top 20 guy. He's still on the board. We think he can make a huge difference for our offense. It is worth it for us to give up these other opportunities to go get this guy. And all I can say is if you do that, you better be right. Before we wrap up here, a couple things. We, we talked about the prospect of trading Lane Taylor, and I think that possibility has ramped up even more now that Marshall Yonda has officially announced his retirement. It makes so much sense for the Packers to call the Ravens and say, here, take this starting caliber offensive guard who would be really good as a run blocker in your interesting, modern, run-heavy system. And you just give us Hayden Hurst, who is your tight end three that you don't want to play, and is your you're looking to trade anyway. You're not going to get a better offer than a starting caliber offensive lineman under contract, at least for 2020. But the name that caught my eye, based on the reports that came out yesterday, was that Robert Griffin III is a name out there mentioned. And it was just intriguing from the standpoint of Matt LaFleur was his quarterback coach in Washington when he was an outstanding, really all-time exciting rookie quarterback. Robert Griffin has been instrumental in the development of Lamar Jackson by all accounts from the people around Baltimore. He's been a model teammate, has not complained, has come in and done his job. And in the limited playing time, by the way, the last year, he looked good. So I think he can still play. And in an offense with a coach who knows him, if all you're giving up, you know, maybe that's the Lane Taylor trade. Packers have already traded for a backup quarterback once. If they can't get Hayden Hurst, maybe you trade Lane Taylor for Robert Griffin. You're getting something, and you're getting a backup quarterback you feel much better about if he has to play, especially in an offense that is at least somewhat similar to one he knows. The bones of it are is an offense that he's played in and he knows. That gives you a much better chance to win if you need a game or two out of your aging quarterback if he gets hurt and you need a game or two from your backup. I like Robert Griffin as an option much better than Tim Boyle. Now, I am famously or infamously, depending on who you ask, averse to caring about the backup quarterback. It was just an intriguing name because I've always liked Robert Griffin. I've always felt like he's been unduly criticized. I felt like the the team and the franchise really screwed him up in Washington. And I, I, I think a lot about, probably too much, about what could have been with him the career he could have had if he doesn't get hurt, if they, if they don't you know, sort of force him to be a pocket passer, if they don't push him while he's injured, all that stuff. And I, you know, I think Green Bay could be an interesting spot for him. At the very least, it could give you some fun two-point conversion looks. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. I want to get in an interview before the end of the week, so I'll, I'll work on trying to get that in. I've got some feelers out, so Maybe talk some free agency, not some draft, just because the free agency part is around the corner. See if we can get some intel, some whispers of what's going on with the Packers and and where this team could be headed. And some interesting projects in the works that, that I hope to be able to tell you about very soon that I hope come through. So we'll see what happens there. Sorry to be vague about it, but it just it is what it is. Um, remember to follow me on Twitter 
at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers. 